says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated. Let's bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord's help as we contemplate his word this morning. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being here. Thank you that it's not just we who are here, but you are here. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. And you know what each one of us specifically needs. You know our hearts. You know the encouragement we need. You know the challenge that we need. You know what comfort we need. Help us now, Lord, as we interact with your sacred text. In Jesus' name, amen. There were some teenage kids, say kids, teenage children, young people, searching around one rainy day up in the family attic. They were up there looking in the various bags and trunks and chests and just seeing what was stored up there, a little like pirates looking for sunken treasure or prospectors looking for gold. And, and uh, they found the mother load. In a sack there were a collection of letters that their father had written to their mother back in the falling in love days. And this was a new sensation to them. And they read those letters with a mixture of embarrassment, (laughs) fascination, and nausea, (laughs) and all these things to think, Dad wrote this to Mom? Dad? This is his words? got his name on it. And they kept reading and kept reading. And they laughed and they read sections to each other. And that night at the family dinner table when dad was home from work and the meal was there, they started quoting select passages from these letters. And it did not end well. It did not end well, I'll tell you that. Uh, (laughs) There's their private father having had expressed years before the raw emotions of the love to the girl he hoped would be his bride. And here comes the juicy parts. And through peals of laughter, recited lines. And eventually the parents recalled and recognized and realized the sources of these sappy sentiments. The children were laughing at them. Not a good scene, ultimately. But the letters were actually beautiful in their honesty. They were effective letters. At the very least, those letters did no harm, and they actually did good, as a young man expressed what he felt for that young woman. The occasion demanded passionate expressions of undying love in a day when people wrote letters like that communicated that way. A love letter written by the same man to the same woman on their 50th wedding anniversary would be different than these early letters. Be a different perspective, looking backward with the woman he loved rather than hopefully forward. Be written in the voice of a 70-year-old who'd lived five decades of richer and poorer and sickness and health and better and worse. 
and the sentiment of love and admiration would be the same, though not quite as cringeworthy, perhaps. There's different letter writing styles. There's different things when we sit and write a letter to communicate, a letter to the editor on a topic of passion and importance to us might sound different than a letter to the manufacturer uh, who we wanted to get a refund from for a, a defective thing we bought from them. A letter to the homeowners association is different. A letter even from a father to a daughter or a father to a son might be different. Or uh, even a letter to a son at one point in his life and a son at another point in his life. The same son would be different. Uh, we learn from these letters. And these are letters that we have uh, that make up a lot of the last half of the New Testament. Many of them are letters from the same person, but to a different congregation, but in a similar setting for the letter writer. Several factors influence the letter writing, the occasion of the letter, the media used, and the relationship. And as we begin the study of Paul's letter to the Philippian church, we need to understand that uh, that is a, a factor in what is expressed from Paul to the Philippians. It's a letter. In those days, and I, I read this this week, and this was kind of interesting. This was very interesting to me. Uh, they taught letter writing in their highest uh, universities. Letter writing was a skill that you had to know. You had to know what kind of a letter. They've looked and they found various letters written in history from that era. And uh, people, I think it's like 27 or 28 different categories of, of letters that they put, all these letters they find in history, marking the occasion. And you can see the difference in letters from Paul. Uh, this one they categorize as a letter of friendship. There's a category called letter of friendship, and the secular historians that look at it say, this was a friendly letter. This was a letter of friendship. And uh, Paul's writing to them. It was also a letter of moral encouragement to them. What's the relationship between the letter writer and that church that received the letter? Why was Paul writing to the Philippians, and why in this way? Well, he'd been there when God had saved many of them. Acts chapter 16 talks about Paul's time in the church at Philippi. There had been a first missionary journey that was, would be regarded by you know, mission boards from a human level. They would say that was a, su a success. And Paul went around and, and churches were planted. The gospel was going out not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. And churches were being planted, and he went in, and, and it was Paul and Barnabas the first time around, and, and it was a quote-unquote success. It was a success. Reported back. But even at the outset of the next journey, there was some friction, you remember, from the book of Acts. And Paul and Barnabas uh, had no small dissension on whether to take... Uh, 
Mark as part of their mission team, and, and they, they split up, and it was a healthy thing because the gospel went uh, beyond that. But it, it just a little it's a sad taste in your mouth, a little bit. Uh, and here's Paul and Silas. And it wasn't going the exact same way the second time. And do you remember that Paul had a dream, uh, a Macedonian in, in Paul's dream or his vision, saying, come over here and help us, come over here. And Paul shared that with the, the group on the missions team. Though it was Paul's vision, he shared it with everybody, and they made the decision, this must be from God, let's go there. They got to Philippi, and they started to see some conversions, some wonderful things happening. There was a businesswoman named Lydia who was there waiting for them. And she was meeting down by the river uh, with other women. And and they didn't have a synagogue to to, to form. They they had to have a certain amount of men. There were requirements in in those days for the Jewish synagogues. They were there just worshiping God as they could. And the Bible says that God opened Lydia's heart. God saved Lydia. And she would have been one of the first converts. And she was part of this church at Philippi. They were placed in jail. And you remember that story. That, that incident where in, in the middle of the night, God sent uh, the earthquake. They, they'd been beaten up. They were in chains and they were singing praise to God. And, and God uh, rattled the cage and, and shook everything loose where they all could have escaped. And the Philippian jailer uh, was going to kill himself because otherwise he would be killed, possibly his family along with him, uh, some say. Uh, and he was going to kill himself. Because he'd lost all these prisoners. And they said, wait, wait, we're all here. And he was shaken by that to the point where, where the Holy Spirit prompted him. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And so this church in Philippi was built on, out of the ashes of pain and hardship and joy. He'd been through a lot with them. I was reading this text and I just had a song in my head and I, Sometimes I have to do this. I have to just stop and play the song a couple times to get it out of there. And I was thinking of Mary Chapin Carpenter's song, Everything We Got, We Got the Hard Way. And she's talking to her husband at the end of of life, looking back and saying, it was not easy, but look what we have. Look what we got. It was the hard way. And you think of of Paul thinking back as he's writing to these Philippians. uh, This was a church not born of ease, it was a church born of struggle and hard, and his heart was for them, and he had a fondness with them. You look at the way that Paul uh, wrote to other churches. Oh, he loved those other churches. But the tone as he wrote to the Corinthian church, where someone had to be put out of uh, the church for sexual sin with his father's wife, and Paul saying in the Corinthian letters, the tone wasn't the same as this, as this friendship letter to the Philippians. It wasn't straighten this up before I get there so when I get there we can rebuild on this. Uh, that was a different kind of a letter to people that Paul also loved who he'd seen saved. The Philippian letter is different. It wasn't the kind of letter uh, like as he wrote to the Galatians who he also loved who he'd also seen be saved, but in the Galatian letter, remember he said, as they were heading back toward the legalism that they'd been saved out of, and he's like, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you might go back to what you, what you left from? 
and it's a different tone from the same man having the same life experiences written roughly in the same time period. But here you see something different to the Philippian church. This is important for us to know as we embark for the next few weeks in this letter to the Philippians and look at it. You yourselves address people differently even in the same social media. If you're on social media. You talk to your childhood classmates who you reconnected with a little differently than your work acquaintances or with people you're just getting to know or your family. There's a different tone. Same person, same media, different tone. Same Bible, same God's truth, same everything, but a different tone. Understand as we look at Philippians, that's what's going on and try to see what's going on on the human scale, even as we acknowledge that it's God who's the ultimate writer of this. And here we see in Paul a tone of warmth. There's some admonishment, but he, even in the admonishment, it's in this cradle of, of, of good feeling, of friendship, of, of warmth, of, of something that happens when Paul thinks of them. Before uh, the Lord brought us up here, Paula and me, uh, to Danbury, to a church plant, I, I was, and it was a privilege to be on a church, and I was the associate pastor of a church that had about 1,500 people. And I used to think to myself, within that church... <laughs> You know, I'd categorize, these are the Galatians, these are the Corinthians, or these are the, these are the Philippians, these are, you know, and you had just different categories of people, and I was in charge of the small groups. And I tell you, it was kind of nice. I loved those, uh, I loved those legalistic Galatians, and they needed some help, and they needed, uh, they needed gospel, gospel, gospel all the way, and, and uh, some of those, uh, Corinthians with all the things that they had going on, they needed somebody to love them and say, this is not right. But it was kind of nice on a Sunday night to go to a small group that was kind of made up with the Philippian type of people and and, and to to be able to kick back and relax a little bit, still be on the guard, still know that that, that they needed the Lord's uh, walking all the way through and they needed prayers just as much. But Paul, I think, was looking forward to writing this letter to these Philippians in this way. There's something in the letter, in the relationship, They were generous and and loving. There was a reciprocation. There was goodwill. There was a generosity. Um, Paul uh, was collecting money for the Jewish people uh, that had been uh, so persecuted and were so poor, and the Gentiles had turned around and were giving of their financial uh, riches uh, to the church uh, in Judea, and Paul had taken that gift back. There were times where the Philippians were just as poor as the others, but they sacrificed to give to the the ministry of the gospel. And Paul saw that. There was just a heart that Paul had for that congregation, uh, which was just as, it was also a messed up congregation, as we'll see as we get into it. But there was something going on. And so get that tone and and keep that in your mind if you're able to hear this. Uh, over the next several weeks as we look at Philippians and as you read through Philippians. When you're reading your Bibles and you're interacting with God's word on your own 
a good question to ask as you come to a, a particular passage is this. Say, why is this in the Bible? Why uniquely? It goes along with all the rest, but why when God had his Bible assembled and written and inspired and breathed, breathed out, better word than inspired even, but when God breathed that out, why is Philippians in the Bible? What's here that we can compare with the others, see the gospel, but why Philippians? What's here that's not in the other Pauline letters? It's the same type of thing we do when we read the gospels. Why is this here in this context? So as you're doing that and you're thinking through that, we have to ask ourselves as we start a sermon series on Philippians, why Philippians? What are some key elements in this letter? Well, I said last week, joy and rejoicing. That's one, joy and rejoicing. And I'm not going to give stats, but you can look up on your own stats for how many times Paul uses those words joy and rejoicing in this epistle compared to the other epistles. And you can see that's a theme in this letter from that writer uh, that, that, that prevails in, in Philippians. Joy and rejoicing. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce said this as he introduced his commentary on Philippians. Quote, any Christian who is feeling down or discouraged about anything... Any Christian, any Christian who's feeling down and discouraged about anything. That's pretty broad. That could be us, right? <laughs> okay? Any Christian who's feeling down and discouraged about anything should study Paul's great letter to the Philippians. And he goes on to talk about the uplifting and the joy and rejoicing. That's true. That's very true. But that's not all. And it could be reduced to a caricature. Apologies, because this is one of my favorite jokes. I was having eye trouble. You saw me draw my glasses here. And I was having some eye problems, and Paula was saying, go, go see, go see somebody, and, and I wouldn't do it. And finally, with my eye trouble, I went to see my optimist. And he said, don't worry, you'll be seeing perfectly. Just hang in there. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Um, my poor family, I hear this all the time. Um, but an optimist is not what you need when you got trouble. You need the optometrist. You need somebody. And Paul is writing to this church uh, with God's diagnosis. But you know, if you really do have eye trouble and you really do have to go see an optometrist, isn't it better? And don't you feel more encouraged if it's an optimistic optometrist? You do. I do. And this is an optimistic letter, even addressing some things that were coming to the Philippian church. I say that just to say, don't make Philippians uh, reduced to just a cartoon character of joy and rejoicing and think, that's now I know what Philippians is about. What's the next one about? Uh, we're going to get into that. But, but there is an undercurrent of joy and rejoicing throughout this letter. Here's the setting. Paul's life is threatened with beheading. He's got rivals who are preaching Christ out of wrong motives. There are other places in the book where opposition threatens. There's a strong note of opposition in this book that he has to address. In his 
optimistic way. Writer of a commentary called The Bible Speaks Today, which is very helpful, says this. Listen to this. Philippians is a joyful letter, but its undercurrent is a sober realization that time is running out. Paul himself was facing a possible death sentence. The church was tensed up, ready for the assault of a menacing world and for the insidious encroachment of false doctrine. Above all, God's clock was turning relentlessly to the hour, which would be both end and climax. So there's joy, there's rejoicing, but there's an undercurrent. It's different than gallows humor. It's not pessimistic, it's optimistic, but there's something coming, and there's a threat, there's a storm brewing. The gathering storm uh, that, that people have talked about in history as they talk about the buildup of things, and you say, something's coming, but not in a good way. But in the midst of that, there's joy and rejoicing, and Paul can do that. We're going to see how that can happen in, in, in a church and in a Christian community. This book also talks about how to glorify God as one lives within a local church. How to glorify God. How to be a, a, a church person. Well, we pray. We say, God, send people to Christ the shepherd. Send people who uh, don't know how to do church biblically and send people who do. And God, bring us all, help us all, teach each other and learn. But there's a, a way to conduct yourself as a citizen of God's kingdom in this little uh, division that God gives you called a local church. The letter talks about that. It talks about perseverance in the faith. One, I think it's the last quote as we introduce the book, but uh, one of my favorite people become, who has become that in the last week and a, a commentator I'm, I'm leaning on, a guy named Moises Silva, wrote this, the Philippians were facing great adversity had lost their sense of Christian joy and were tempted to abandon their struggle. Accordingly, this letter places great weight on the need to stand fast and persevere. It is remarkable that this note of perseverance has not played a more significant role in the interpretation of Philippians, says Mr. Silva. Most readers tend to view the Philippian church in the best possible light, But the text makes clear that these believers were experiencing severe spiritual problems. Many of them apparently had lost confidence in their ability to maintain their Christian confession. Paul encourages them to stand fast and contend. That's chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Chapter 4, verse 1. He encourages them also to run their race without looking back. That's in chapter 3 and to take seriously their awesome responsibility of working out their salvation, Philippians chapter 2. So understand, as we look at at, uh, the next few weeks at Philippians, it's not going to be each and every week, joy and rejoicing, joy and rejoicing next week, joy and rejoicing. It's not going to be a broken record, Lord willing. Although I may tell my optometrist joke once more in that time. No, I won't. Won't do that. <laughs> You're welcome. To the, to the man who just said, mouth the word, thank you. <laughs> um, the other theme 
that I was surprised that is in here just about as many times as joy and rejoicing. And, and then we'll, we'll move to, to, to into the, getting into the text more. But the other theme throughout Philippians, as you read it, is the idea of thinking rightly. Uh, phrases like, let this mind be in you. Think this, consider this. And they come from similar Greek root words. Uh, he's going to talk to them, uh, and he's talking to us about how we think and what perspective we have on life as Christians. And so there's something about thinking or thought, proper thinking versus worldly thinking. Each time I approach a new study of Scripture to be brought to the congregation in sermon form, I invite three or four friends to be my closest companions in this along with other trusted voices. Like one of those experts to be strong in biblical languages, in this case Greek, that's Moises Silva. I'd like one pastor, that's James Boyce. One from the past, that's Mr. Calvin. And one whose body of work I'm familiar with, that's Gordon Fee, that's people like that. And, and it's like these great scholars looking at the same text, loving the same God, having been saying, have a conversation, and I get to listen and interact, and I find I'm asking questions, and I'm finding. Uh, that's what we're going to look at. That's how we're going to approach Philippians. This is important to get this book down. This book is ripe for cliches, for Christian cliches. Uh, we want to, we and, and I'm glad because at least it puts the scripture in our minds, uh, but, but I would say the Christian greeting card industry uh, uses a lot of Philippian stuff, some of it not necessarily in context. Uh, we're going to get the familiar. I want you to get excited about Philippians. I'd love you to read it regularly and think through it, and let's, let's, let's do this together and see what happens. Uh, one of those voices said this, the questions that this book answers are these. Here's what we're going to try to answer over the next several weeks. One, what objectives should control the rest of my life? What objectives should control the rest of my life? Here I am right now. I've got the rest of my life. I can't undo this. I can just mine it for good. I can see how God was working in it. But going forward, right now, what objectives should control the rest of my life? That's in Philippians. What is the real nature of the church? That is in Philippians. What is the faith of the church and how can we maintain it steadfastly and untarnished in a day of threat and doctrinal confusion? And what does our Lord promise to us? What will we find him to be in our hour of need? How can we enjoy his benefits and will we find them sufficient? We're going to look at these questions the next several weeks. Pray. Pray for me. Pray for us. Pray for, for, for your, your fellow member. Pray for who God brings in. And let's, let's not uh, be doing any time wasting in Philippians. Let's, let's see and let's trust the Holy Spirit. Let's learn and grow as we look at this book together. Now, a brief look at the first two verses that we read. We will not take it two verses every week. Not going to be. But this is the introduction. This is the natural break. And it's good we had a little shorter natural break in this introduction to, to introduce the whole book. But here's what's going on. 
First two verses that we read, our text this morning. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Um, One thing that is pointed out and that we can see is Paul's inclusion of his partner. It's not that he and Timothy were co-writers of the book or of the letter, but he included, he had Timothy with him. You'll see uh, over time the special love that this congregation had for Timothy. Timothy's with him and Timothy's there. It's like, uh, here comes Mother's Day. And so Paula orders a a bouquet of flowers for her mom. And she writes, happy Mother's Day, Mom. Uh, Thanks for whatever, or you're this or that. There's some personal message. And she says, love Paula and David and Lily, because we're the ones in the house. And the the mom knows that personal message in there is from Paula, but she knows that we're a a team and a unit sending this together. And this is how Paul operated. He included Timothy with him. Paul and Timothy. Good partnership. Do this as a session. Mark writes a letter as clerk of the session to Nilsson, the clerk of the session uh, uh, from the, uh, the Brazilian congregation. Well, that's not just coming from Mark. That's Mark on behalf of all. He's the clerk. He's the one writing for us. It's in Mark's way of saying things, but we're saying the same things. If I wrote it, I might uh, mess the whole thing up. So it's a good thing we got Mark. Uh, But John and Dave and and, uh, and Rick and and I, we we, we talked and Mark says, okay, here's what I'm going to write. We don't have to proofread Mark's letter. Mark's writing on behalf. Uh, There's an inclusion And Paul is writing not just his own little thoughts. He's writing with the mission team that's there. He's writing and he's including. It's it's, it's a joint thing. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, or servants of Christ Jesus. In this case, different than some of the salutations to some of the other churches, sometimes he has to write Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's got to pull that card because it's that kind of a letter. Here, this kind of a letter, he wants to emphasize that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. He'd proven himself to be their servant. He'd been beat up for him. He'd gone to jail for him. He was going to die uh, for them to have had the gospel. He was their servant. But he's saying, my primary servanthood is not as a servant of you. He didn't say, Paul, your humble servant. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, he's that servant. Uh, The servanthood that we have toward each other is based on our primary relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're servants of Christ, then we serve each other as a result of that. And that makes it easier uh, to serve each other sometimes. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. I wrote, a church elder is a better servant for the people in his church when he realizes that his primary role of servanthood is to Christ Jesus. You're a better servant for your husband or for your wife. You can serve better if you say, my first role is to be a servant of of Christ. Then I can serve my family. Then I can really act in a servant role. John 21. We got to John 20. We did that last week uh, where, where, where Jesus restored Thomas. The next chapter in John, the last chapter, is where 
Jesus restores Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon. It's Simon Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, lovest thou me? And there's a, a love, a, a relationship that's there. And, and when, when Peter says, you know I love you, what does he come back with after asking for you? Feed my sheep. You love Christ. You serve Christ. So you serve Christ's people. That's the way it works. Then he says this in the rest of verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. We get this mixed up view of what a saint is based on a church where a pope confers sainthood on this person uh, to the exclusion of these people. Biblically, if you're a Christian, you're a saint. When the Bible talks about saints, it's not talking about some extraordinary person who did some extraordinary thing or saw, you know, uh, Mary's face on a waffle or something like that. It's nothing like that. A saint is a Christian. And he's saying, I'm writing to all the saints who are at Philippi. All you Christians in Philippi, that's who the letter's for. It's not trickle-down spirituality. It's, it's, it's for the Christians. And Philippians is for us Christians. But he does include with the overseers and the deacons, and we see these two offices of elder and deacon even in the early days of the church. It's why we have elders. It's why we have deacons. Uh, it's there. And he says, it's for all of you, including them. And he's talking about an organized local church here. Uh, there is an organized local church in the pages of Scripture. They keep rolls of widows who need help. They, they do these things. You put them out of, of the church if they're, if they're sinning, like in Corinthians. You can't put them out of something if there's not something to be put out of. And, and so uh, the beauty of the organized church, the Philippian church was an organized body, as were the other churches. Whenever they established a church, they established leadership when they went on. He would send Timothy and Titus to various churches uh, that were organized. Love the church. Love the church and love the idea and the truth that God has established in addition to a, a universal church of Christians everywhere that is his bride, the way that he organizes into local bodies. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. So you are a saint, and I can give names. I can just start naming your names if you're Christians, if you're members. Uh, saint so-and-so, saint so-and-so. Uh, yeah, sainthood has been conferred upon you by Jesus Christ. Okay? To all the saints. You say, I'm not good enough to be a, called a saint. Don't call me saint. I'm not good enough. Well, I got news for you. Uh, not only are you good enough, you're perfect. Because your sin has been placed on Jesus and his righteousness has been placed on you. His holiness and his righteousness. And so you can wear that title of saint uh, thankfully and gladly. Because you know that it came and your worthiness is because of Jesus and his death on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven and you can be called saint. And then he says to the saints at Philippi, 
It was for that particular group for them. It's part of the sacred text. It's for us now. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, One of them, and I I didn't write it down and I can't hardly remember, it talked about the standard letter writing form. Maybe when you were a little kid in school, if you're about my age, they they were teaching you how to write letters too. And you always had the the salutation and you had the whatever and you closed and they, they taught us how to write a letter as little kids. Nowadays, it's just text, and, and uh, who knows what autocorrect is going to say when the time the letter, letter gets down the pike and it gets forwarded and, and all that. But in the old days with a letter, and, and they talked about the form of letters, and Paul took them, but his unique distinctive form was grace and peace to you. And he's talking to Christian people in a spiritual sense. Just briefly, what are grace and peace? Well, grace, it's a different kind of grace than the world gives. It's grace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's an entryway. Uh, if you say, I'm gonna, I just want to devote the rest of my life and I'm going to study what grace is and I'm going to experience grace and I'm going to, whatever biblical grace is. Uh, lesson one, here's where I would start you. Something D. James Kennedy said in his Evangelism Explosion. Grace, the acronym for grace God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a good starting point for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace to you. God's riches to you at Christ's expense. Grace to you. And then what follows that grace is the peace. Old Testament word shalom. The real lasting peace. Not giddy happiness all the time. But peace inner peace, and we will see that portrayed throughout the letter. It's one of the favorite words Jesus said whenever he was reappearing to people after his resurrection, or he was appearing to people after his resurrection. We talked about this last week. Peace to you. Peace, peace, peace. That was Jesus' phrase. That's what happens when you're a recipient of grace. Peace is just like the other side of the coin. You get grace, you get peace. It was the old... uh, church signs with the billboards with the 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 puns and the plan words <laughs> no jesus no peace and then no jesus with a k-n-o-w spelling no jesus no peace and that's uh what we're talking about here and that's what he's talking about to them grace and peace to you from god our father and the lord jesus christ one use of that word in scripture i just made a note of it um it's a phrase and sometimes i'll when I'm praying with somebody who's in a real life of turmoil and things right then or topsy-turvy, and I take this from Scripture, I pray that God gives you peace that passes understanding. Peace that you don't even know where it came from. You can't understand it or explain it, but there is a peace in the midst of the storm that God gives. And he's saying this is the privilege for Christians. Grace and peace, believers. We'll come back next week and get into the body of the text. Just a quick application. One, just it goes without saying, call on God to save you if you haven't done that. If you haven't done that, uh, you're just looking at, you're, 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 you're the orphan outside the shop window looking in and you're smelling the bakery food and you're watching the people and you have nothing. And it's free for you, costly, for Jesus, 
But I would say call on Jesus. Become a Christian. Well, I don't want to. My friends, my family, my... Well, you know what? Forget it. Maybe if you figure out uh, grace and peace, then maybe those people that are going to laugh at you at first and, and, and not want to follow you, maybe then you're in the position to show them where grace and peace is, and maybe that's all part of God's plan in your life uh, as he brings them and saves them. If you're not a Christian, you know, to use biblical terminology, get saved. Would that convert do in the Philippian church? He said, well, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Practically this week for application, read Philippians a couple of times. Say, hey, I got an NIV and I got a King James and I got an ESV. Well, read them in all three of, the, three of them and compare them and see. That's, that's, not, that's a good way. You can kind of get it at how people translate them and kind of look at them. That, that's all right. Uh, but, but spend a little time in Philippians. If you're so inclined and have the time and this is how you operate and learn best, maybe Scratch out a few notes, maybe some questions. Maybe if you scratch out a couple of questions and, and said, these are my real questions about Philippians, uh, hopefully I, I'll be good enough to, to help address some of those even as we go through it. But interact with it, not just on a Sunday. Interact with it during the week. Why not? It takes about eight minutes to read, I think, something like that. It's not a long read. Um, do that. Get ready for a sense of perspective and joy and rejoicing throughout your important life. And then this week, ask God to teach you what it means to be part of a local church, the privilege and the responsibilities, and look for that as you read Philippians. We've been saved by God's grace. We've been saved from something. We've been saved to something. And then we get all done and we go somewhere called heaven that he's prepared for us. And in the meantime, we get to live for God in a fallen world. Good for us. Wow. Privilege. Uh, take that. Take that note of joy and rejoicing. Take that note of, uh, and, and, uh, and let's, let's dive in. Let's close this sermon in prayer and we'll come back next week and hit that next section, which is a wonderful, joyous uh, section. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the grace and peace that you've given us through Jesus Christ. We can't help but think of just what it means to be recipients of God's riches at Christ's expense. Paid for, forgiven, set free. Thank you for that. Help us now as we continue to worship you at your table. In Jesus' name, amen. In this letter to the Corinthians, where Paul spends a lot of time explaining what happens at the Lord's table, we read this.